Our precious Father, we want to thank you again for the privilege we have together tonight to study your word. We trust you that you will teach us and that you will grant us understanding. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are continuing in our prayer fest and then we're preparing ourselves for uh, starting the year with praying and fasting. And so we are going through scriptures to see the things that will enhance our prayers. So our topic is Stay Praying to Get Results, Part 3. Our text is Titus 3, 8. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful, should be careful, very careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. It says, it's a faithful saying. It's a trustworthy saying. That these things, I want you to affirm constantly. Constantly. Especially in the days in which we live, when evil is the dominant culture. Evil is the dominant culture. The tendency is to think that that dominant culture is the same culture of the Bible. So the Holy Spirit said constantly, constantly affirm this. Affirm it. It's a faithful saying that those who have believed in God should be careful. It's not a careless thing. Careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. So we're looking at how it profits us as Christians. So last week, we ended with how repentance is very important to realign us to be in close fellowship with God. We all, I need it, you need it. We need to be realigning ourselves to be in close fellowship with God. We talked about fruits of repentance. There are actions that are normal as a result of change of heart. If we say we have repented and are not ready to admit guilt, then what did you repent from? If you are not ready to admit guilt, the question is, so what did you really repent from? And that will lead you to restituting. If you have something that is not yours, you defrauded somebody, you went and took things you are supposed to pay for, and you're not, you're, you, you're not paying for it, and you're getting your salary, you are deliberately continuing to defraud the person. So you can't say in all sincerity that there is a change of heart there. So we say that repentance has fruit, that you'll be prepared to say, yes, I'm wrong. And then you go to somebody you've hurt, and then make... Amends. It's very unfortunate, very, very unfortunate that we wrong people, we hurt people, and then we throw religion at them and say, hey, the Bible says you should forgive. That's not right. When you hurt somebody, it's important that you take time and realize that you hurt somebody and do whatever it takes to bring healing. That's part of the restitution we're talking about. You, you can't just hurt somebody and walk away 
There are some hearts that takes a while to heal. There are some hearts, brethren, that will take a while to heal. Especially somebody that you trusted and he destroyed that trust. There are things that are very hurtful, very, very hurtful. But unfortunately, we, 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 we true religion are people. I had somebody come to my office and say, Pastor, for the first time, you, I saw somebody who was ready to listen to me. He said, every single time I began to talk about my heart and things, they would throw religious scriptures at me, and I was dying inside. And he said, I was on my way to commit suicide. I was going to die. But you called me, and it's like coincidence. Well, God, I believe God did that. And he came and he unburdened. He had the privilege to unburden and find a listening ear. That's part of what we're talking about. When you have done something that hurts somebody, take a while and think about it, if it's you. So you go back and bring healing. It's part of a heart that has seen I'm guilty here, I did wrong here. It's my responsibility to make amend for what I have done. If I have to return something to this person, I have to do that. If I have to apologize, I have to do that. Even if you have to apologize every day, you don't have to say, ah, I've done enough. No, because you caused the problem. So this part of the things we're talking about, that if there is a change of heart, it will show in the attitude. It will show in the attitude. And then again, you can't keep hurting somebody or doing something that is wrong or doing evil, and you're not changing. You don't want to stop, and you say, I have, I have a change of heart. No, A change of heart also results in you stopping that very thing. If you really feel guilty and feel bad and feel this is wrong, the only cause of action left is to say, I'm not doing this again. So we say that repentance is not just by mouth. It has fruits. And then there could be more, but these are the three ones that we talked about uh, last week. And we say this repentance realigns us to be in line with God, to be in close fellowship with God. It helps us in our prayer when we are in alignment with God. Now, the man Moses, again, we go back and look at this man. In Numbers 12, 3. Now, the man Moses was very meek. And I want us to take note of the word meek. Above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. Four. And the Lord spake suddenly unto Moses and unto Aaron and unto Miriam. Come out, you three, unto the tabernacle of the congregation. And they three came out. And the Lord came down in the pillar of the cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle. And called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forth. Six, and he said, Hear now my words. Now, this is God himself talking. He didn't send an angel. He came himself. If there, if there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision. And will speak to, unto him in a dream. He's saying, there are levels of communication I have with people. There are levels of communication. I have with people. Verse, verse 7. My servant Moses is not so. It's not like you people. It's not so. Who is not faithful 
in all my house. Remember, we talked about God trusting you with what you're asking. He said, this man is faithful. This man is meek. Because he is faithful, remember, careful to maintain good works, to be faithful to God, meek. God says, because of these qualities I found in him, because I can trust him, I can rely on him. He is meek. What is being meek? Let us even look at the dictionary meaning of meekness. Meekness means quiet, gentle, easily entreated, easily imposed upon, easily submissive, willing to accept and submit without resistance to the will of God. That's meekness. Easy. Easy. Contrast that with the opposite of meekness, which is rancorous spirit, trouble, unteachable, not easily entreated. He will argue and argue and argue. And it's wise in his own understanding. You can't look, it doesn't take correction. Always arguing. So God says in verse 8 of Numbers 12, with him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, and not in dark speeches, and make things clear to him. And the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore then, were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Why are you not afraid to know that this man talks with me? And if he's doing something, he would have discussed with me. Why are you not afraid? He talks with me. We can you imagine how, how effective his prayer would be. That's what we're talking about. Now, can you put Moses' prayer, put Aaron's prayer, and put Miriam's prayer, and see what we're talking about here? He said, you people, I, I talk to you, you know, visions and whatever, but this one, a different level of communication. Now put their three of their prayers in a line and see what we're talking about. He said, affirm these things. It's very important that Christians maintain good works. Now, First Peter 3, 4. You will see that this type of spirit pleases God a lot. First Peter 3, 4. But let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, that the laugh of the spirit, the hidden man, the laugh of the spirit, which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek, see that? Quiet spirit. Not noisy, not argumentative, not, 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 uh, not teachable, wise in his own eyes, can't take instruction, proud, that's not what the scripture is teaching us here. It says, ornament of God, the jewelry of the jewels of God. The jewel of God is a meek, somebody who is meek, easily instructed, takes instruction easily. Jesus put it another way. He said, hey, you want to walk with God, be a fool. Be a child. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Be a fool. Throw away your wisdom. Throw away your understanding. Throw, and be a fool. Be a child. 
That's exactly the meek spirit. The Bible said God loves it. A meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God, of great price. That's what God saw in Moses. He said, he saw it in Moses. Great price. An ornament, decoration. Now, this is Christmas. We are decorating our homes. God said, this, you want to decorate you? When I see I like this decoration, this is what, this is decoration for me. The life of the inner man, the hidden man, the spirit man, the new life of my son that he gave you. Scripture says, constantly affirm these things, that Christians should live this life. Now, let's see how, what God means when God says, listen, I talk to this man face to face. Now, again, we're talking about prayer, and we're going to be talking to God. Now, in Exodus 33, 7, listen to this. It was Moses' practice to take the tent, to take the tent of meeting and set it up some distance from the camp. Everyone who wanted to make a request of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. Verse 8. Now, listen to this. Whenever Moses went out to the tent of meeting, all the people would get up, stand in the entrances of their tents, their own homes. They would all watch Moses until he disappeared inside. All of them will come out standing at the door. All of them. And be watching Moses until he disappears inside. As he went into the tent, the pillar of cloud will come down and hover at its entrance. While the Lord spoke with Moses. Verse 10. When the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they will stand and bow down in front of their own home tents. 11. Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord will speak to Moses face to face. As one speaks to a friend. This is what prayer should be. God speaks to us face to face. As we speak to a father, our father which is in heaven. Prayer is a family meeting. With the Father, the Son, the Spirit. The family meeting. Family meeting. Our Father who art in heaven. Prayer should be a very close, intimate interaction with God, with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit. They are all involved in your prayer. The Holy Spirit gives you the wisdom. Jesus is the door you talk to the Father. So it's an intimate thing that we should have and talk with God face to face. Face to face. If Moses could come with the blood of animal this close to God, we could come closer with the blood of Jesus. Talk face to face. Now, our Lord Jesus said this about himself. Hebrews 7, 5, 7, the Holy Spirit wrote this about our Lord Jesus. He said, in the days of his flesh. Remember, that with this, the Holy Spirit describes when Jesus was here physically as the day of his flesh. As the day of his flesh. Now is the day of his spirit. When he rose from the dead, he became, he wasn't the day of his flesh anymore. He became spirit. 
That's why he could enter the house when all those doors are closed. That's why he can live in you, live in the other person, live in so many persons, because he's God. These are the day of his spirit. And so the Bible calls the Holy Spirit also the spirit of Christ. Because there, is no, there are no two spirits of God. Jesus is God. But in the day of his flesh, in the day of his flesh, that's when he needed to be anointed of the Holy Spirit. You don't anoint God. So to, in the day of his spirit, he doesn't need the anointing. He is the anointing himself. He is the power of God. But when he was here in his flesh, the spirit of God came upon him because he became regular, normal human being. He, he put aside everything that made him God and became regular, normal human being. If he wasn't a human being, he wouldn't die. God will not die. He had to be a human being to die. And he had to be a human being to represent human beings as one of us. So he calls us his brothers. So in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up definite special petitions for that which he not only wanted but needed and supplications with strong crying and tears to him who was always able to save him out from death. He was hurt. Why was he hurt? Because of his reverence towards God. Meekness. Jesus was meek and faithful. Because of reverence towards God, his godly fear, his piety, in that he shrank from the horror of separation from the bright presence of the Father. He coveted the Father's presence and shrank from anything, anything that would hinder his fellowship with his Father. So when the Father left, he said, my Father, my Father, why have thou forsaken me? So that the world will know that he has been forsaken so that we can be brought in. He shrank from it. Deep reverence. I, I like the way easy to read version said it. It said, while Christ lived on earth, he prayed to God, asking for help from the one who could save him from death. He prayed to God with loud cries and tears, and his prayers were answered because of his great respect for God. Meek spirit. Jesus was very meek. Very meek. And let, let's see how the Holy Spirit describes it again in John 8, 25, John 8, 28. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man on the cross, then you will understand that I am he. I do nothing on my own. But say only what the Father taught me. Meek. I take instruction from my Father. I listen to him. I don't do anything except what my father teaches me. Meek spirit. Easily instructed. Easily instructed. Easily entreated. What my father teaches me. Sorry, my, my laptop just shifted. 
Okay, fine. Okay, fine. John 8.28. So it says, So Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man on the cross, then you will understand that I am He. I do nothing on my own, but say only what the Father taught me. And the one who sent me is with me. He converted that, that fellowship with his father. The father was everything to him. The father was everything to him. He's, he loved the father with all his heart. The father was all the treasure he had. Just like Paul said, Jesus is all my treasure. It's all I have. My all and all. It's, all the, it's the only one that matters. It's all I have here. So he focused on the father. Father would tell him, do this. He would, no argument, no father, how about, no, no, no. When he was going to, the, to die, he said, not my will, still, but your will. Meek spirit. Scripture says, affirm these things before the church that we must be careful to maintain good works. Meek spirit, faithful spirit. So he said, the one who sent me, verse 29, is with me. He has not deserted me. For I always, always, not sometimes, do what pleases him. I always. You know, my, my, my wife will call him my pastor. I have a mentor who really mentored me. He passed away in 2003. I you know when I talk sometimes, my wife will say, this is what your pastor said. I truly is what my pastor. He gave, he said something about his life. He said, he said, I've not done 100%, but he said, I'm certain that I have followed the Lord at least 90%. At least 90%. To do what he said to do. He said, I've not done 100%, but I can say I have followed him at least 90%. That's, a, that's an awesome one. 90%. And the other ones is in the area of, you know, you have to do, have to go and start ministry of healing. You leave your wife and children. And he was saying, Lord, leave my wife and children. You know, we being human beings and things like that. But finally, he did that. He said, I followed the Lord faithfully. At least 90%. That was that testimony hit me. I'm asking myself, what percentage will I say that I have really followed the Lord? Jesus said, 100 percent I follow the Father. Meek spirit. Now, let me make a very important point here. By no means are we diminishing the place of grace and of Jesus in our coming to God. Jesus is definitely always the only reason for us to have access to God and can never be replaced by our good works. Never. Never. If anybody teaches that, that's wrong doctrine. Now, we're teaching that you have to have good works and this enhanced Moses' relationship with God. You need to understand that Moses already had a covenant with God. He was walking in that covenant already. So you cannot replace Christ in our going to God in prayer. Now some scriptures will remind us that, and the Lord Jesus taught us that too. Ephesians 2.18, now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. 
all of us. We can come because of what Christ has done for us. So we can't diminish that. We cannot replace that. In Ephesians 3, 12, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So that's definitely the one reason, the only reason, the exclusive reason for which we are accepted by God is because of Christ. Hebrews 10, 19. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. Case closed. That is the only reason. And that's why we say in Jesus' name. Because no matter how we have done anything, we don't have self-recognition before God. We go on the merit of our Lord Jesus Christ. In John 14, 6, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Now, the Lord himself taught us that. In Luke 18, verse 10, two men went up into the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank thee. I am not as other men are. Other men are extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all I possess. And, and the publican, standing afar off, will not lift up as much as his eyes in, unto heaven, but smooth upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself shall be abased, and he who humbleth himself shall be exalted. When I go before God based on my good works, I'm exalting myself. I'm exalting myself. And Jesus said, I will be brought down. I'll be brother. So going before God based on my good works is exalting myself above the Lord and saying, God, I am the way to you. See what I've done. That's exalting myself. The Lord assures us that we'll be brother and God is not going to listen. But there's no justification for us to come. The only justification is mercy that we receive through our Lord Jesus Christ. So having said that, so that we make sure that we are in proper, correct doctrine. So we can't diminish this, and we can't, we can't introduce any other thing that, that brings us before God except the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, having said that, insulting that spirit of grace, we hinder the benefit of grace. When you start abusing this grace that brings you before God, when you start abusing this grace that gives you all these things, all the access to God, and you start abusing it, it will hinder it. Because the grace wasn't given for the purpose of you abusing it. It was given for the purpose of you accepting it and honoring it. And then you start working for you. Anyone who is using grace as excuse to continue to commit evil is abusing that grace. It won't work for him. Because his purpose is evil. Grace is not to perpetuate evil. It's not to promote evil. So grace will not work in an environment where somebody is perpetuating evil on the ground claiming it is grace that gives me, gives me this privilege to perpetuate evil. Grace won't work because that's not why it was given. 
Now, number one, there are people who manipulate the word of God to their own advantage, using grace as a reason to do evil. That is abuse. That's not the purpose of grace. That's not the purpose of the message that Jesus gave. So if you, if you do that, then it will not work. Because if it works for you, then it means that grace promotes evil. It doesn't promote evil. It's not going to work for you. You're on your own. Now look at this. Romans 3, 7. It is simply, pers- it is simply perverse to say, if my life serves to show off God's truth, all the more gloriously. Why blame me? I'm doing God a favor. Verse 8. Some people are actually trying to put such words in our mouths, claiming that we go around saying, the more evil we do, the more good God does, so let us do it. The more evil we do, the more grace, the more it shows how merciful God is. So let's people like that, that grace will not work for them. Because that's not the purpose of the grace. It won't work for them. It's abuse. So you can't be continuing in evil and say, yeah, because of grace. The Bible really called this abomination. Paul says, shall we continue in sin so grace will abound? Say, God forbid. It's forbidding. It doesn't work. Grace doesn't abound when we are continuing in evil and taking grace as a reason. God said, God forbid. You, there won't be abundance of grace for you. Yes, we come to God through Christ, but we have to honor that process that God provided for us to come. We cannot misuse it for something evil. It's something for something good. Jesus is not the minister of sin and evil. Jude verse 3. Dear friends, I had been eagerly planning to write to you about the salvation we all share, but now I found that I must write about something else urging you to defend the faith that God has entrusted once for all time to his holy people, verse 4. I say this because some ungodly people have warmed their way. Look at what they call them, ungodly people. Have warmed their way into your churches, saying that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. He said they're ungodly people. They're ungodly people. They're evil people. are evil people. The condemnation of such people was recorded long ago. They are not going to have justification. They are going to have condemnation. Recorded long ago, for they have denied our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, the only reason we go to God is through Christ. But you cannot deny the same thing and make fun of it and, and insult it and expect it will work to promote your evil ways. No. The scripture says the condemnation of such people was recorded long ago. People who insult the spirit of grace. People who use God's marvelous grace, the blood of the Son of God, as justification to be doing whatever they like. It won't work for them. So it will affect their prayer. Because they are evil people. And then, this is People who even teach this, but they now go ahead and practice it. They now go and start living that kind of life. Galatians 6 1. Now, I'm not talking of the Bible calls that kind of thing willful sinning. That's where you commit sin out of deliberately, intentionally, out of your will. 
You just, do, just keep doing what you are doing because you say after all there's grace. That's what it calls way for sinning. You are not prepared to stop. No matter what you, someone you hear, you are not interested. It's called willful sin. Willful from your will. No pressure, nothing. It's not even temptation. From your will. Now, I'm not talking about people who have, who are not willing to do something, but they are really, really fighting. You know, like we resist sickness, we resist this. We also sometimes resist some, some things that we don't want. And we're fighting it. We are praying. We are, we are, do, we are studying. We are quoting scriptures. We your will is not involved. You don't want. But you, you are fighting this thing. It's not something you willfully go and do. It's something you find that it's, it's, it's now a battle. Those are not the kind of people I'm talking about. In Galatia 1, 6 verse 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken, yes, overtaken in any trespasses, you who are spiritual, see how you know spiritual people? Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. You see, the same mixed spirit we're talking, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burden and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he's nothing, he deceives himself. See, when you see your brother or your sister struggling with something, if you are really spiritual, you should help him to restore him. Not gossip about him. Not go talk, tell, tell people about him. That's how you know spiritual people. They are meek, gentle. They follow the Holy Spirit. They are humble. They restore him. Knowing that you too can be in such a situation. You too can be in such a situation. And if you think you are something, you are too holy and this, he said, when you are not, you are just deceiving yourself. Because mostly we have things that we are dealing with. We have our areas of strength. We have areas of weakness. Most of our things we are dealing with. That's not what, that's not willful sin. That's what I'm talking about. Not all. Something people do out of ignorance. They have no idea that this is sin. They have no idea that this is evil. Yeah, out of ignorance. In 1 Timothy 1, 13, even though I used to blaspheme the name of Christ, in my insolence, I persecuted these people, but God had mercy on me because I did it in ignorance and unbelief. Oh, how generous and gracious our Lord was. He filled me with the faith and love that come from Christ Jesus. He said, wow, I did this in ignorance. I thought I was doing the right thing. I thought I was serving God. I thought they were the wrong people. And God said, because he was ignorant, God gave him grace. He walked and God changed his life. So this type is not a willful thing. It's something that comes because Paul thought he was really, really serving God. That these people were false preachers and false days. He was so zealous for the laws, the Lord that Moses gave, and God saw it and stopped him. So he said, he said, God was very generous. God helped me out. Gracious. Grace was what worked for me. And I became what I am because of that grace. This is not abuse of grace. 
This is an ignorant person. Somebody who is fighting with something. It's not abuse of grace. The Bible says restore him. Because all of you have flesh. You are, you are, fight, you are something, you are area of weakness and area of strength. So it can be you. But the, pers- the one we are talking about is somebody who deliberately, intentionally, continues, continues in spite of God talking to him through the scripture, talking to him through the Bible, talking to him through Bible studies. He's so, he's so, he's so, he's so proud. He's unteachable. Arguing. Justifying what he's doing. Because he thinks that grace was given to him to do those things. Such a person is abusing the grace of God and grace will not help him in that direction or sustain him. Grace can work for him. Grace will work for these people who are, who are ignorant, they don't know. Grace will work for somebody who is really engaging something as I don't want to do this thing. Yes, that's why grace will come and help us in our weakness. But grace won't come and help somebody who made up his mind that he's not repenting. He's not, not going to repent because he thinks he takes these things for a joke. He takes all this thing for to joke. He's not serious. No, it's not going to work like that because that's not the purpose of grace. That's a deliberate insult of the spirit of grace. A deliberate insult. And because he insult that spirit of grace, it's not going to work for you because the spirit of grace is not here to, to, to sustain you in that kind of thing that you are doing. Now let's look at Hebrews 10.26. Dear friends, if we deliberately, see what I'm saying? If we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that we cover these sins. If we deliberately, intentionally, willfully continue. After we have received, so we are not ignorant. This one is not ignorant something. It's not what you say, I'm doing out of ignorance. No. You have received knowledge. You know it, that this is not right. But you keep on doing it, disregarding anything, disregarding Christ, and then you don't care. And then you say, after all, grace, you know, Jesus died for us. You're just doing it because you think grace supports it. Verse 27. There is, only, there is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment now and the raging fire that will consume these, his enemies. Remember, the scripture called those people, he said their condemnation had been written longest time, the evil people. The evil people. Now, verse 28, he says, For anyone who refuses to obey the law of Moses, was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. 29. Just think now, how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God. That's what they're doing. Trampled upon the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. They use the name of God in vain. They go, they do whatever. They use Jesus' name in vain, do whatever they like. And so, if you see where they're talking, they laugh over scripture, use scripture to make joke. 
and they know the truth. It's not that they're ignorant. They've come to the knowledge of the truth, but willfully they chose these things and still come to church and hear more and go and be doing what they're doing. He says they have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's message to us. For we know the one who said, I will take revenge. I will pay them back. He also said, the Lord will judge his people. These are his people. These are the people who came and said, I gave my life to Christ. They have knowledge. But they're using it for joke. They have knowledge. The Bible calls them evil. They have knowledge. They have knowledge. They have received the knowledge of the truth. And the Bible says God will judge the, his people. And there are people like that. They don't care. They really don't care what they do. They come to care what they don't care one second. Oh, they have no respect for anybody, no respect for scripture, respect for anybody. They don't care. If they want to fight, they fight. If they want to abuse you, they abuse you. If they want to commit immorality, they commit immorality. And if you tell them they defend it before your face, there are people like that. Willfully insulting the spirit of grace. Now, whatever is written aforetime is written for us to learn from. So let us take a look. Romans 15, 4. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of scriptures might have hope. Now, what do we learn from the, the Old Testament saints that were involved in this thing? Now, let's look at Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli. They were also in a covenant. Remember, they also had a covenant, the blood covenant of animals. Now, 1 Samuel 2.12. Now, the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord and the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest, the priest servant would come with a three-pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was boiling. Then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and the priest would take for himself all that the flesh hook brought up. So they did in Shiloh, to all the Israelites who came there, 15. Also, before they burned the fat, the priest servant would come and say to the man who sacrificed, give meat for roasting to the priest. For, all, for he will not take boiled meat from you, but raw. And if the man said to him, they should really burn the fat first, then you may take as much as your heart desires, he will answer him, no, but you must give it to me now. If not, I will take it by force. This is the sacrifice that God prescribed to cover their sin. That these children are making fun of. The very sacrifice. Verse 17. Therefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord. For, for men abhorred for, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. They abhorred the offering, the sacrifice 
of the Lord, the offering of the Lord. They abhorred it. First Samuel 2.22. Now Eli was very old, and he had everything his sons did to all Israel, and now they lay, how they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. They were committing immorality right in the church. They were, God says, when you bring this sacrifice as you are boiling it, then the priest servant can come and put three prunes for whatever meat he brings belongs to the priest. This boy said, no, we take it raw. You have to, if you don't give up, we start violence. And then upon that, they were committing immorality right at the temple. That's what the Bible is calling willful sin. Absolute arrogance and pride. Then 1 Samuel 2.27. Then a man of God came to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I not clearly, clearly reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? Did I not choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to offer upon my altar to a born incest and to wear an effort before me? Did I not give to the house of your father all the offerings of the children of Israel made by fire? Look at this one, verse 29. Why do you kick at my sacrifice? Why do you insult the very sacrifice to cover your sins? And my offerings, which I have commanded, which I have commanded in my dwelling place, and honor your sons more than me, to make yourself fat with the best of all the offerings of Israel, my people. Because his sons will bring this. He will eat. He will eat. Oh, he will eat. Now, look at chapter 3, First Samuel chapter 3, verse 11. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I will do something in Israel, at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day, I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from the beginning to end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows, because his sons made themselves vile, and he did not restrain them. Look at 14. Here we come, verse 14. And therefore, I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house will not be atoned for. Will not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. He said, the same sacrifice that will be offered to cover their sin is what they are insulting. So there's no more, I can't, there's nothing else to provide to atone for them. That's what Hebrew is saying. He said, you insult this sacrifice, you insult the blood of Jesus. He said, there's no, the God has no other sacrifice except the one you are insulting, the one you are looking down upon. So which other sacrifice will wash your sin? None. Because the one that God sacrificed, you are insulting it. That's what God said to them. He said, their sins will not be atoned for. Forever, because the very sacrifice I gave to, to atone for it is what they are insulting and abusing. That's what Hebrew is saying. Those who willfully sin, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, knowing that this sacrifice was made to wash us clean, to make us holy, and they willfully be behaving like these children, you see here, behaving like them, they will not, God warned them and warned them they wouldn't listen. That grace will not work for them. 
It's not going to work for them. The Bible says this is reality that we can learn. Isaiah 1, 12 to 15. When you come to worship me, who asks you to parade through my course with all your ceremony? Now remember, these are the people who have blood covenant. They are blood covenant. Not perfect, but that was God gave them at the time. And with that, once the high priest did that, they would come. That's why they came. They came. They came. When you come to worship me, who, who, who asks you to parade through my course with all your ceremony? Stop bringing me your meaningless gifts. The incense of your offerings disgust me. As for your celebrations of the new moon and the Sabbath and your special days of fasting, they are all sinful and false. I want no more of your pious meetings. I hate your new moon celebrations and your annual festivals. They are a burden to me. I cannot stand them. When you lift up your hands in prayer, I will not look. Though you offer many prayers, I will not listen. For your hands are covered with the blood of innocent victims. Learn to do good. Oh, learn to do good. The scripture said, I found this constantly. That Christians who have believed in God must be careful to do good. So they don't insult, insult and abuse the privilege of grace. Grace is not for sin. Grace is to save us from sin. Though you offer many prayers, I will not listen. For your hands are covered with the blood of innocent victims. Learn to do good, seek justice, help the oppressed, defend the cause of orphans, fight the fights of widows. Good works. Can't come to God and, and begin to think that your good works is what will bring you. But you can't insult, you can't abuse the privilege of grace through your. After God has done all this and sacrificed his son and everything, and you know it, and you, you use it, you believe it, you believe in like you don't care what God did. So you can't be going there and coming back and saying, Lord, you know, no, God says no. You are not, you are insulting the spirit of grace. That's what the Holy Spirit said. He said, You are insulting the spirit of grace. You are trampling upon the Son of God. There is no other sacrifice. Isaiah 58.1 Shout with the voice of a trumpet. Blast. Shout aloud. Don't be timid. Tell my people Israel of their sins. Yet they act so pious. They come to the temple every day and sing delighted to learn all about me. They come to church. <laughs> when you see they think they are interested in knowing all about me. They act like a righteous nation that will never abandon the laws of his God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want me to be near me. We have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We have been very hard on ourselves, and you don't even notice it. I will tell you why I respond. It's because you are fasting to please yourselves. 
even while you fast, you keep on oppressing your workers. No repentance. Even while you fast, you keep on oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere near with me. You humble yourself by doing, going through the motions of penance. See, repentance without fruit. <laughs> repentance without fruit. He said you are just going through the motion. I know you well. I know you well. You don't have any plan to change. Bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in bullock and cover yourself with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? No. This is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free. Remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry. And give a shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. And to do and do not hide from relatives who need your help. Then your salvation will come like the dawn. Your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward. The glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call, the Lord will answer. Yes, I am here. He will quickly reply. Remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. Feed the hungry. Help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness. The darkness around you will be as bright as noon. God says, I've given you this covenant to cover your sin, not to perpetuate you in sin, but to give you opportunity to have a repentant heart. But you are insulting the privilege I gave you. You are insulting it. You, don't, you are not taking advantage of it. Here is the proper use of grace. The proper use of grace is in honoring the spirit of grace and honoring the Lord and yielding yourself like God says. Moses is meek, meek, yielding yourself so that the work of grace will be done in your life. So the work of grace will be complete in your life. The scriptures say, don't receive the grace of God in vain. Titus 2.11 For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us now, if you are meek, it's teaching you. If you are meek, it's teaching you. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly loss, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. That's what great does. It teaches you. God says, I love meek spirit. When I'm teaching, he will listen so that the work of grace will be done in this life. Done in this life. Starting. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus, who gave himself for us that, we might re that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself, purify himself his own special people, zealous for good works. See, grace redeems you from evil, puts a new life in you, gives you understanding and empowerment, so you are zealous for good works. That's why grace was given. That's why grace was given. Those who abuse it think it's given for you to perpetuate evil. God said, no, I didn't give you for that. 
I gave it to teach you to say no to evil so you can you live in victory. So this grace will make you who you are. Verse 15. Titus 2 15. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. Say, teach this thing. Don't let anybody despise you. Say it. This is why I gave you grace. Romans 6, 4. Romans 6, 4. Romans 6, 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law now. You know, if you are living under grace, you live in victory over sin. Can't have dominion over you. But under grace, what then shall we sin because we are under the we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. It's forbidding, it's abomination to use grace to as excuse to be committing sin. When you do that, you are shortening the spirit of grace. You are abusing it, misusing it. Know you not that to whom you yield yourself servant to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness, but God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine, which is the gospel, which was delivered to you, being then made free from sin. That's what grace does. Sets us free from sin. You became the servants of righteousness. That's what grace does. And those who honor grace will yield themselves to it. And more grace will be given to the humble. More. But to the proud. None. God says I will resist them. I'm not giving them more grace. They're proud. They, they do their own thing. But to the humble, more. More. Romans 6, 22. But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness, the end everlasting life. So you see, honoring the Lord will affect our prayers. Let me even read the, uh, James 4, verse 3. And when we, when, when, and even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You, you are that trust. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? See what we're saying? Oh, I'm a believer, believer. Jesus died for me. But you are in bed with the world. You are making fun of the grace. You are not taking advantage of the grace. You are not listening. You are not meek. Because if you are meek, it will teach you to deny the ungodliness of the world. And you can't love God and mammon. You can't love God and the world. It's clearly written here. We can't be abusing grace. We can't be insulting grace. I'm not serious about what it caused God the Son to do on the cross. We can't be living careless lives and say, yeah, the grace of... That's abuse of grace. That's misuse of... That's not the purpose of grace. The purpose of grace is to bring us where we are careful to maintain good works. 
So he says, you, you, he says, verse 4, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? It can be clearer than this. As he's writing to Christians. I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the Lord, you must, you make yourself, and if you, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Grace is not going to work there. Because you chose to insult, to abuse that process. You, you, you want to body up with the world. See the prodigal son, until he decided, I'm done with these people. Started coming back. The father had him. The father saw him that this man is decided to come out of that. What do you think the scripture mean when they say that the spirit of God has placed within us is that is placed within us is filled with envy, but He gives us even more grace to stand against such evil. He gives us grace to stand against such evil. But when we choose to insult the grace and we don't value the grace and we body up with the world, God said, I'm not giving you grace to continue. What, why should I give you grace to do that? My grace is not for those things. But he gives even more grace to stand against such evil desires. As the scripture said, God opposes the proud. Those who insult the spirit of grace, who are proud, they exalt themselves above the knowledge of God. God opposes the proud, but favors the humble, the meek. Moses was the meekest man, the meek. Those who are taking advantage of the grace of God, more grace will be given. Because they are producing, they are faithful, more will be given. Scripture says, if you, if you are not hearing me and doing what I said, even the one you have, I take away from you. Let's understand that this is true. Even the one you have, I'm going to take it away from you and give to a nation that produces more, more grace to the humble. He opposes the proud, but favors the humble. Verse 7, so humble yourself before God now. Be meek. Gentle, meek spirit. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. But you have to humble yourself before God first. So come close to God. Come out of the world. Come out of the world. Come close to God. God will come close to you. Speak to you face to face. Like Moses. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. For your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. That be genuine repentance. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. 
Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. See, laughter, making fun of it, it's not serious, not important to them. Isaiah 2, 11. Human pride will be brought down and human arrogance will be humbled. Only the Lord will be exalted on the day of judgment. See what Peter said there. First Peter 2, 8. Now, this is the goal. This is the written to the church. This is the goal. To live in harmony with one another and demonstrate affectionate love, sympathy, and kindness towards other believers. Let humility describe who you are. Be humble. Be meek. Moses was meek. Jesus was meek. Let humility describe who you are as you dearly Love one another. Never retaliate when someone treats you wrongly, nor insult those who insult you, but instead respond with, by speaking a blessing over them. Because a blessing is what God promised to give you. For the scripture tells us, look at what the scripture tells us. Whoever wants to embrace true life and find beauty in each day must stop speaking evil. Must stop speaking evil hurtful words, and never deceive in what they say. We read this, we treat it with, with, with ignominy. We treat, we treat scripture with ignominy. The scripture says, this is what we need. Oh, treat it with ignominy. And then we go and say, I have grace. Because if I told you, this grace was given to you for you to resist evil so you can do these things. You are abusing it. You are really abusing it. So verse 11, for the scripture tells us, whoever wants to embrace true life and find beauty in each day must stop speaking evil, hurtful words, and never deceive in what they say. Always turn from what is wrong and cultivate what is good. Affirm to believers to be careful to do good works. Eagerly pursue peace with every Relationship, making it your prize. Twelve, why? For the eyes of the Lord Yahweh rest upon the godly, and his heart responds to their prayers. But he turns his back on those who practice evil. He says, I resist the proud every day of their life. They are not meek, they are not humble, they won't listen to me. In spite of the blood I shared and my son I gave for them to give them the ability to resist this thing, they, they, they just don't care about it. They're just doing their own thing. For the eyes of the Lord rest upon the godly and his heart responds to their prayers, but he turns his back on those who practice evil. The angel of Yahweh stooped down to listen as I prayed, encircling me. Empowering me, showing me how to escape. He will do this for everyone who fears God. I mean, this was written to the church. Do you know that the psalmist wrote the same thing? That's why the Bible said, This things that were written at four times are written for us to learn. Look at Psalm 
34 verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his godly people. For those who fear him will have all they need. Even strong young, even strong young lions sometimes go hungry. But those who trust in the Lord will lack no good thing. 11. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you to fear the Lord. Say, listen, does anyone want to live a life that is long and prosperous? 13. Then keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. 14. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eye of the Lord, the eye of the Lord. Watch over those, those who do right. His ears are open to their cries for help. Say, so let me share this secret with you. That's what the Holy Spirit wrote to the church. Say, so this thing is relevant for us today. Moses was meek. He would listen. Jesus said, whatever my father said, I do. We should stop insulting the spirit of grace, insulting the scripture, and, and taking the Bible like psychically. The scripture says, don't do it. We just keep, keep doing what we are doing. Who would tell me? I don't understand, Jerry. You, do, you, do, you, don't even know what, you don't even know what's happening. Be doing it now. That's your own. Be doing it bad, 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 bad. God resists the proud every day. You just quench the spirit and quench everything. Now we're preparing to pray. We should read these things. Listen to these teachings. Go to the scriptures and search it out. May the Lord help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, want to thank you for teaching us again that to resist the proud. You are urging us to have, to have the mind that Christ had, who was meek. You showed us the benefit of meekness. You add more grace you showed us, to those who are using what you gave us, the grace you gave us, and producing. But I pray that you help us understand these things. For the days are evil. The days are evil. People love the world, cultures of the world, and they will defend it. But your word is not broken. The scripture cannot be broken. The scripture cannot be changed. The scripture is settled forever in heaven. Thank you for the privilege to hear these things. So that in this world in which iniquity is abounding and the love of men is waxing cold and people are closing their ears to the truth, doing what they like, insulting the spirit of, spirit of grace, that we too are not found. We should be coming out among them and be separate so that we can have fellowship with you. Help us to understand. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.